right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of EM Over Easy. I am here with the three amigos in a virtual conference, which is fantastic to have the guys here. Drew, Andy, how you guys doing? Good, Tanner. Glad to actually have you on a podcast for once. Yeah, it's Seriously. been too long. Yeah, you get, you guys have been, you've been recording without me, so or I've been ignoring you. I don't know which one it is, but uh, let's just it, go with yes. It feels good. It feels good. But uh, I, I am extremely excited about tonight's topic, um, partially because uh, I think in my in my core person, I really enjoy the creative side of things. Tonight's topic, we're going to kind of touch on storytelling, and uh, we have a very special guest here with us, uh, and. I, just to introduce her, so her, her name is Dr. Emily Silverman. Uh, she is an academic hospitalist out in San Francisco and is a very incredible person because she is part of one of the coolest things I think I have seen, heard, and and been exposed to in the last several years. And it's a thing called the Nocturnus. And I think I'll just let her kind of explain what it is. But Emily, why don't you just uh, give yourself a little introduction, who you are, what you're about, and and tell us what the Nocturnus is and how it became to be. Sure. Thank you all for having me on. It's really great to meet you. Uh, and thank you for your kind words about, about my project. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm a hospitalist at San Francisco General Hospital, but before that, I was an internal medicine resident at UCSF, rotating at three different hospitals in San Francisco. And before that, I was a medical student who was really interested in how I might preserve my creativity as I went down the medical path. And it was in residency that I felt was the peak of like my creativity being kind of sucked out of me by the system just because intern year, um, I really wasn't spending much time attending to myself um, in very basic ways, much less in enriching creative ways and just felt like the creative side of myself was starting to fall away. And also that I was kind of disconnected from my own humanity. And I think those two things were combined, um, but largely related to the amount of time I was spending at the computer and, you know, pushing papers and not really spending that much time with my patients and wanting to know more about who they were and what their stories were and how their illnesses were affecting their lives, as opposed to just focusing more on the numbers and the labs and kind of a disease-based or organ-based approach to care. And uh, came out of intern year feeling pretty burned out and really wanted to start up a creative project to kind of get myself back on track again. And it really started as a blog, actually. I started writing and posting these little prose poems on a blog and sharing it on Facebook with my family and friends. But then after a while, I thought, you know, I, I really want other people to be able to express themselves in the same way that I'm doing that right now. And I wasn't sure what it was going to look like. But then I was invited by a friend of mine to a live taping of The Moth here in San Francisco. And it was this incredible night of live storytelling. It was actually one of their open mic events. Um, the Moth does some curated shows where the storytellers are coached beforehand, but they also do these like very exciting shows where just people show up and put their names in a hat and they literally pick like 10 random names out of a hat and people come on stage and, and tell stories. And that's what it was on that night. And it was just this like completely random mix of people sharing like very vulnerable, intimate things about themselves and like some of them were funny and some of them were really sad and intense. And I just came out of it feeling, you know, this is what we should be doing in medicine. 
it was just this moment of like inspiration. So I decided that I wanted to create a similar event specifically around healthcare and, and healthcare practitioners. And the very first event uh, was um, done in January 2016. It was pretty small, about 40 people. And I um, wrangled eight faculty members and residents to stand up and speak. And this was really early. There was like no coaching or anything. And it went really well. It was just this kind of special night of like laughs and expressing all of those moments of doubt that you feel in the moment, like you're alone. But then when you hear other other people talking about it, you're like, oh my God, that's so reassuring to know that I'm not the only person who feels like that. So there was this like electricity in the air and it just kind of snowballed from there. We just kind of like scaled up from that small event to a small community theater and then scaled up again to this larger theater in San Francisco. And now we're doing the live shows and, you know, it's like 360 seats and um, audio recording the shows and, and making it into a podcast spinoff. So it's been, it really stemmed out of, I would say my um, intern year burnout and is now turned into this really fulfilling um, project that continues to sustain me as I'm a, a hospitalist attending. That is crazy. Uh, first, A, because you thought 40 was small amount of people. <laughs> um, I, think, I, I think the three of us would kind of uh, uh, be a little nervous when we had 10 people listening to us record at one time. So um, that's really funny, but also amazing. Like, it sounds like a little Phoenix story almost where, you know, you, you rose from the ashes into this crazy, amazing uh, concept and uh, wow, really, really cool. Thanks. Yeah, I had never really built anything before. I mean, I had always been a good student and got good grades and kind of went along the um, academic conveyor belt and, uh, you know, participated in clubs here and there and took art classes and that kind of thing. But I was never, you know, that high school student who like started their own nonprofit or like anything crazy like that. And it was just this really weird feeling from the universe that like now was my time to create something of my own. And um, it's been a really wild ride and I'm continuing to learn how to manage that because it's just not something I've ever done before. And it's not something I've ever been trained to do really in, in medical school. They don't teach you how to like build a, like a organization and a project like this that has the creative angle. So I'm just learning on the fly and it's a very humbling experience, but also really fun. That is, that is absolutely fantastic. So I guess, you know, the, the main topic I want to talk about tonight is essentially the core of what the Nocturnus live events are about, which is storytelling. Why is storytelling important? What do you guys think about where, where does that, how does that impact us as humans? That's a great question. And I think there are a lot of different ways that storytelling is kind of just synonymous with being human. In my mind, storytelling, first of all, is a really important way to connect with yourself and to kind of reflect on your own experience. One of the issues that I had in residency is I was just absorbing so much. I was absorbing so much um, suffering and illness and also moments of like happiness and joy with my patients, but I didn't really have a lot of time to sift through those experiences and kind of locate myself and the chaos of all of that and really figure out, okay, like how am I kind of assimilating all of this experience and information and letting it shape me as a person or, or letting that energy kind of out through some kind of escape valve so that it doesn't just go in and in and in and then has no opportunity to be processed. And so 
what I love is this exercise of of storytelling, whether it's writing or journaling or even just telling a story to a friend and kind of thinking through yourself as the hero on a journey, um, which is not easy for physicians because we're very used to remaining neutral and invisible. And, you know, that's evidenced by using the passive voice in our notes and really in our clinical encounters, having this view that it's not about us. And it's not, it's about the patient. But I think when you're getting into this mode of storytelling and reflection, you really do want to place the focus on yourself as the healthcare provider or as the health professional and think to yourself, like, how is this experience changing me? The whole point of a story is change over time. It's basically, you know, plot is equal to change over time. If you want to think about it almost like a mathematical equation. And I feel it, I find it really helpful to, or I did find it really helpful as I was kind of shaping the Nocturnus and coaching the storytellers of the Nocturnus on how to really um, elevate their stories to the next level on this basic story structure of beginning, middle, and end, or before I was like this, and then this thing happened, and now I'm like this. And just this very basic kind of pyramid-shaped structure where you start off on one level, there's an inciting incident, there's this rising action and conflict and tension that culminates in a climax, and then there's a kind of falling of the action and a resolution. And when the story ends, you're on a different plane than you were when you started. You're different than you were before. And when you when you go through that exercise with yourself and you say, okay, what are some of the most memorable experiences that I've had in the hospital that have really impacted me emotionally? And then you try to put yourself on that trajectory and on that journey and really tease out how were you different after than you were before? <laughs> that process is half writing and half story development, but it's also kind of half therapy. And so I just find the process of like telling a story or writing your story or sharing to be kind of like holding up a mirror and understanding things about yourself that maybe you wouldn't if you hadn't gone through that explicit exercise. Um, so that's one reason why I think storytelling is important is just the ability to kind of connect with yourself and your own experience. And then the other reason I think storytelling is important is the ability to connect with others. When you hear a story, you're kind of, you know, in the place of this character in the storytelling equivalent of a slight of a, a flight simulator. And I remember once um, watching this interview with Meryl Streep, the actress, you know, widely recognized to be like, you know, the greatest actress of our generation of our time. And she was saying that whenever she watches a movie and there's a hero on screen and the hero jumps she was like, I jump. And that kind of holding of your breath and really taking on that character's frame of mind. Um, There's another great quote. uh, I can't remember who said it, but I believe it was an author who said, the person who never reads lives one life, but the person who reads voraciously leads a million lives. Just this idea that you can walk in someone else's shoes by hearing a story, I think is really crucial for developing empathy and also for just connecting and mapping your own experience onto the experiences of others. And I think that can be really important when you're having conversations with colleagues, but also when you're having conversations with your patients and and connecting to them on that intimate, intimate personal level. So I don't know, I could go on and on about this for a long time. Maybe I'll stop there. So Emily, I want to kind of rewind to the the intro you had with that incredible idea of telling a story, which was as physicians, so rarely do we make it about us. 
And before we even really make it about us, one of the hardest things I've found with personally telling a story the way you're, you're bringing it or having others is becoming vulnerable. Because as physicians, we really don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to think of ourselves as vulnerable, although I think independently, we all do know that we're very vulnerable, but we don't want others to know. And, you know, I've been to some small functions, conferences where amongst physicians, there's uh, open mic, vulnerable storytelling. And I find that to be very useful and rewarding and self-reflective. But to extend that to a larger stage, a larger scale, the way you've done, how do you get that person to really break down the barriers and, and be vulnerable? And then on the back end of that, what benefit do you think that provides the physician, the medical professional that has all of a sudden made themselves vulnerable to a, a large audience? Yeah, I think that's a really important question because obviously you don't want to get somebody up on stage sharing really personal information and then for them to have the opposite reaction, which is to feel embarrassed or to feel shame or to feel like they've overshared. And one of the things we do with our coaching is we really explore kind of the boundaries of the story itself and um, kind of discuss with the storyteller, what are you comfortable sharing? What would you rather keep private? Um, And, you know, we always like to encourage people to get vulnerable and not paint themselves like this magical superhero who does everything right. Um, But instead to really um, highlight moments where they weren't sure or they doubted themselves or they made a mistake or, you know, they thought the world was one way and it was actually another. And I think there is a way to do that and, and tell that story where the person telling the story actually ends up seeming stronger than um, if they told a story of them being a superhero. Um, There's a kind of self-help author named Brene Brown who talks a lot about the strength and vulnerability and how um, when somebody is viewed as strong or courageous, usually it's because they're being vulnerable. Whereas if you're just, you know, doing things right all the time and you're, you know, painting yourself to be this kind of perfect being, like nobody's going to connect with that and nobody's going to want to hear that, frankly, and nobody's going to um, empathize with you, the storyteller, because it's just going to sound like you're arrogant or showing off. And so I think the most compelling stories are actually the ones where the person gets vulnerable. And I think part of the role of the nocturnist is trying to normalize this process of, of role modeling vulnerability. I think we definitely have come a long way in the last several years in medical culture around discussing, you know, physician burnout and physician depression and even physician suicide. And the statistics around this are really kind of mind boggling. And this is being brought out into the mainstream media. But I think there's also a lot going on with um, culture and, you know, the hidden curriculum. I saw that your podcast has an entire episode dedicated to the hidden curriculum around this culture of like, no, you're a physician. You, you know, you don't live in a body that could get sick. Like you can work for 28 hours and you can survive on no sleep and you don't need to use the bathroom and you don't need to feed yourself nutritious food or exercise. And you can still be on top of your game operating at this very high intellectual level at all times. And oh, by the way, like you don't have any mental illness. You don't need any time off to, to tend to yourself. Like these are all myths and fallacies. And um, doctors really, you know, despite the white coat and the costume and the performative aspect of medicine, at the end of the day, we are also just human beings, just like our people. And so I think once you get people comfortable telling these stories of vulnerability in front of a large audience, my hope is that that role modeling will help nudge the medical culture 
away from that culture of shame and martyrdom and toward a culture of openness and um, support and self-care, really, because if we're not able to care for ourselves, then we're not able to care for our patients. I think that's really our mission. And then within the confines of that mission, yes, we definitely want to make sure that people are kind of in a mentally stable place and kind of emotionally prepared to tell their story that it's not too fresh or that they've like appropriately sorted through the experience um, and not sh- oversharing. But once you get to a place where they're comfortable and confident, I think, and I've heard from storytellers who performed on our show and on our podcast that the experience of getting all that out is really cathartic. I mean, people will come up to our storytellers after the show and just say, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. I really connected to it or I had a similar experience. And I think that moment of connection can be really gratifying for the, the person who's decided to share. I think that the concept of like, kind of what Drew was describing, that vulnerability and what you've been talking about for the storyteller and how uh, how cathartic that can be for them, as well as giving insight to people around us in, in what we do on a day-to-day basis, is was my initial draw to this whole concept and thought of storytelling. But one of the things I've also noticed is how it's impacted my ability to interact with patients. The ability to tell a small, impactful story that they can relate to makes a huge difference on how they can interpret what is going on with them. Or for instance, the the big one I've noticed recently for me is I've, you know, over the course of the past year become a father and I now have a small child at home. And the difference of me talking to a parent who has brought their child into the emergency department at 3 a.m. with a runny nose but pre fatherhood and now when I can tell them, Oh my gosh, I remember when my son did this and you can see that look on their face of identifying with my terrible story of the time I looked at my wife and said, I don't know when we should go to the ER. And she looked at me and she says, you're the ER doc. And, uh, <laughs> and we're both sitting there just like unsure of what to do. And the look on, on patients, the, the, I guess the parent's face of the patient is, is so, so much relief because they don't feel alone. They don't feel isolated. They don't look at me as this, you know, cold, uh, just getting things done type of physician, but more of a person that understands what they're going through. And, and to me, that's also part of this whole aspect of storytelling is being able to connect with the people that we're trying to treat. I think that's a really beautiful point. I mean, I think that story that you just told about you literally are an ER doctor and turning to your partner and saying, I don't know what the right time is. I mean, that's just such a beautiful example of being human. You know, you can't be a doctor 24 seven and you don't want to be the doctor for your own kid. Like in that moment, you weren't a doctor, you were a father and and a worried father and a scared father. And I think sharing that anecdote with your patient in my mind, probably really strengthened that connection because you know, that, that power differential of the white coat and the scary medical jargon and this idea that you're on just like totally different levels, what you're doing with when you tell that story is you're equalizing things. You're kind of coming down to their level and making them feel like they're able to connect with you. And I think there's a lot of different ways to accomplish that. And one way is to choose or opt to share something personal about yourself. For example, I have somebody in my family who has uh, Parkinsonism and 
uh, whenever I take care of patients who have Parkinsonism or interact with their families, I, you know, sometimes will decide to disclose that I have someone in my family with a similar disease. And just like you describe, when, when I say that, I just feel like there's this extra bond present in the room. I think that's, I think you're spot on with that way of connecting with, with patients. And I think that to kind of speak to maybe the next level is I think this helps us connect with our colleagues. I think one thing that you brought up in there that I love is, is that everybody has a story. And I think that most of our colleagues don't feel empowered on a regular basis to share that more than just that when you see them, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. But as you actually start to storytell around them, they become more comfortable telling you their story. And I think it, it makes for a healthier relationship, a healthier you know, work-life balance to where if we can share this with our colleagues to where even outside of a stage or outside of a podcast, they get comfortable with sharing their story with us and with coworkers and then also with family members. I think that goes a long way in terms of being able to kind of tap into this beyond what we're doing here tonight on a podcast. Totally. I think it goes a really long way. And I think it also um, is a really important reason why we should be recruiting, you know, a diverse physician workforce, you know, people from all sorts of backgrounds, whether it's different racial background, ethnic background, religious background, people with different sexual orientations, people with different life experiences. You know, some people come to medical school straight out of college. Like some people will have a life or two before they even go to medical school and they're bringing a whole different set of experiences to medical school. Some people are doctors and have never really been sick themselves. Other people have, you know, some people have had a sick loved one who who has died. Other people haven't. And so all of these different experiences uh, we bring to the table in our interactions with our patients. And so um, in my mind, our humanity as a physician workforce is a strength and not a weakness because it's just more kind of meat for us to um, really connect with our patients with. So Emily, you're in the middle of a string of teaching shifts and uh, an academic. Andy and I also happen to uh, work a lot with residents. How does this apply to residents as far as you being a attending who tells stories? Do you find that your residents are more receptive to you, open up more and appreciate this? Or they, do they find it almost off-putting that, uh, that an attending is so open or so vulnerable? So I don't, I mean, I've, I appreciate that you um, view me as being especially open and vulnerable, but the truth is when I'm on the job and I'm surrounded by really amazing colleagues every day, I don't like regularly think of myself as being particularly more open or vulnerable than others. And, and you know, sometimes I'll share things about myself when I'm teaching, like, for example, um, if there's a disease, I'll share an anecdote about a prior case that I've seen, or if there's someone who I know who has that disease, I'll share whatever pearls I have from that. But um, what I try to do more is in addition to teaching my team like clinical reasoning and diagnostic and therapeutic um, management concepts, which are, you know, a huge part of what it means to teach residents and teach medical students. There's also really great ways to infuse teaching points that are more about the clinical interaction. Um, so, for example, if we're all standing in the room and the medical student like physically gets down on the patient's level, sitting in a chair, and um, is able to tease out a really important aspect of the social history that is pertinent to the patient's medical condition, when we all deglove and leave the room and are standing in the hallway. 
I'll just say, you know, quick teaching point here. I really love, you know, medical student, the way that you did XYZ and asked about XYZ, because that gives us a lot of insight into this person's disease. Like, for example, we had a patient come into the hospital recently who was in DKA. And for the first couple of days of the hospitalization, there was just a lot of discussion about the insulin and the anion gap and, you know, what the home dose was supposed to be and, you know, whether an infection had triggered this or that kind of a thing. And then a couple of days into the interaction, our team was able to figure out that um, there were a lot of really serious social issues driving this woman's presentation, including um, her recent separation from her children, you know, issues with her immigration status that were causing a lot of life stress. And once that piece of the story became clear, then it was like, oh, now we completely understand why she's in DKA because she's, you know, marginally housed, she's running out of money, she's running out of insulin, and this is this all makes sense now. And it was a great example of a case where the social history was the entire history, basically. I found it really helpful just to point out to the team the importance of, you know, as as Osler said, it's much more important to know what kind of person has a disease than to know what kind of disease a person has. And so when, I, when I'm on teaching service, that's really the lens through which I'm trying to incorporate these narrative pieces. It's less like, let's all stand around and cry and talk about a time we felt sad, although, you know, that happens occasionally. It's really, <laughs> it's really more, you know, how can we include, how can we include these narrative principles into our day-to-day practice and how do we um, imbue our clinical practice with, you know, holistic and, and thoughtfulness, holistic practice and thoughtfulness and, and connection. I really like that. I think uh, one of the things that I've, you know, been thinking about as we've talked about this is, we, we talk a lot about from the provider perspective and how you know we want to tell our story. But sometimes I think we need to be listeners and hear our patient's stories. And I, I think about the patient that you read their chart and you think you know what is going on. And then you go and talk with the patient and you listen and everything changes. Like you, you, it's, it's amazing. Cause I think we all have those experiences where we think we're walking into a room. We know what the disease process is. We can already diagnose it from a thousand miles away. And we know what the, what we're going to do to get things taken care of. And then all of a sudden you sit down and you hear something come out of somebody's mouth and the, the delivery and what the context and everything changes the entire projection of what you were thinking. And, and I think that's a really, really important part of this whole concept of storytelling, which is basically just that we're all human and yet we, we all need to feel and hear different aspects of humanity. And, and we connect much better at a, at a humanistic level than anything else. And so I, I think we've hit on a lot of really big and deep topics here. And we're probably honestly, just scratching the surface of, of all of these different avenues. But I think uh, in, in kind of closing thoughts, any, any final words or, or, or storytelling ideas that anybody wants to put out there? I can't help myself. Just because you mentioned the medical chart, 
I think that's another area of clinical practice where it's really interesting to think about the role of storytelling when we're talking about our documentation and how we document about our patients and the language that we use and how the way that we tell stories in the medical record might actually impact patient care. And um, there's actually some growing evidence behind this. There was a study out of Johns Hopkins where it was um, a randomized controlled trial where they randomized uh, trainees to two different medical charts about the same patient. And it was a theoretical patient with sickle cell anemia. And in one of the medical charts, they used language that was just very subtly stigmatizing. So they would say, this patient is narcotic dependent and in our ED often, like that kind of language. And then in the other medical chart, it was much more objective. It was, you know, this patient has very, you know, painful sickle cell crises and opiate medication is usually required to manage his pain. And um, not only did the patients who read the subtly stigmatizing chart rate the their impression of the patient less favorably, but they actually medicated them less aggressively. Like the dis, the clinical decision making about what pain medicine to prescribe was different based on what the language and the storytelling was in the chart. And so I love that study because I think it's just another example of the way that even though physicians may think storytelling has nothing to do with medicine, we're telling stories all the time, whether we like to admit it or not. When we collect a history, we're sitting and we're listening, as you said. And when we present on rounds, we're repackaging what we've heard in our own words. And when we document in the chart, we're kind of, you know, telling the patient's story through our own lens. And I think it's important that we be mindful about how we're telling stories because the way that we write about our patients might affect uh, how the next provider who takes care of them views them. And um, I think those moments like you're describing when you go in the room and everything that you expected based on the medical chart is turned upside down because you, you learn some key piece of information that just like brings everything into this new um, dimension. Those moments are really, really awesome. That was absolutely fantastic. I honestly, there's no better closing than, than what you just said. So Emily, thank you so much for joining us here on Emover Easy. Real quick, what are some great ways for people who are interested in what you do and your team does um, to, to get in touch or, or find out more? So you can find out more about our project, which is called The Nocturnists. Um, and the website is thenocturnists.com. And that's The Nocturnists with an S. And uh, yeah, just punch us into Google and our website will come up and you can fish around and learn more about our live shows. Um, most of them are in San Francisco, although we recently had a show in New York and we're hoping to expand to other cities as, uh, you know, as we grow. And um, you'll also find a link there to our podcast, which is also called The Nocturnus. If you want to learn more about uh, narrative medicine and storytelling, there's some really great resources out there from uh, a woman named Rita Sharon, who spearheaded the narrative medicine movement at Columbia University about a decade ago. And she's got some great, if you just punch her name into PubMed, she has some really great academic articles about storytelling and, and narrative medicine um, for those who uh, want a more academic perspective. Um, but yeah, there's a lot going on in med uh, medical humanities right now. I encourage people to you know, get on Twitter and Google around. I'll also give a shout out to the Doctors Who Create conference, uh, which is happening on April 20th in Philadelphia. And it's a conference specifically dedicated to 
shining a light on um, creativity in medicine, and I will be there. And yeah, happy to happy to chat with anybody who's interested in learning more about storytelling in medicine and the nocturnus. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We will be sure to include uh, all of those links and everything in the show notes. And uh, for all you EM Over Easy listeners, uh, thank you for joining us here tonight. And please feel free to follow us on all of our great social media locations. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much.